When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. It's been a bit. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. We are now in the offseason. And we are going to change it up a little bit. We've gone twice a week on Gotta Watch the Tape. We think we're going to fall into a once a week flow here on Gotta Watch the Tape in the Orange and Brown podcast feed from Cleveland.com. Our plan. Got to watch the tape every Thursday, but we have like we have like other orange and brown talk stuff like every day. I mean, it's insane. We got a Hey Mary Kay. We got sort of the the regular all encompassing football discussion. And now we're making sure every Friday you guys are going to get the big bad round table where it's the three of us plus Dan plus Mary Kay. And we're going to dig in on like a big juicy topic. For instance, get ready. I'm excited for this one this Friday. We are going to draft 30, we're going to do 35, 35 starting quarterbacks. Is it 35 or 30? Yeah, 35. There's there. five of us, seven rounds. 35 starting quarterbacks in the NFL in the effort to figure out where Baker Mayfield fits in. So we're going to look at 2021, the 2021 season. You've got one season to worry about. Money doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter, except in how it affects that quarterback who you picking first, and where does Baker Mayfield fit in? It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you're listening to that Friday. But here on Thursday, it's Miles Garrett time. Because what we're going to do for now with the Gotta Watch the Tapes is find one key play from the Brown season and dive in hardcore on that play. And then we're going to allow that play to lead a discussion into other aspects of the Browns. But for this first episode, Scott Patsko has picked a Miles Garrett play. We're then going to talk more about Miles Garrett off of this. If you want to go to cleveland.com slash Browns in the body of this post where we have the, this headline and this story, Scott will put the video of that play so you can watch it yourself. But also we're going to paint a word picture right here on the podcast and explain to you what happened and then explain to you why it's important. So that's what we're doing. I think you'll like it. I know you'll like it. I'm excited for it. Scott Patsko, you are up with a Miles Garrett play from early in the 2020 season. Diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape. A word picture. Is that a thing? Is it a word cloud? My kids used to do, isn't it? It's like a phonics exercise from second grade. Do a word picture. I don't know. That's why I'm not a teacher. We're educating people either way, right? All right. So this play uh, is from week two against the Bengals. The Browns bounced back in that game after losing the opener to the Ravens. Uh, the play is in the third quarter. It's about six minutes left in the third. The Browns are down 21 to three at the time. And if you remember, they had just been stopped on fourth and goal from the two. And now the Bengals took over and they're facing a third and nine at their own 12. So they really didn't move the ball. And now they're in trouble because they're in a long third and long situation uh, against the Browns. Um, now, Miles Garrett, obviously is on the field since this is a Miles Garrett play and he, this is one of his four strip sacks of the season. Now he's lined up uh, at, at, on the left side 
but he's at left defensive tackle, which is a little bit weird. And we'll get into that uh, in a few minutes here, but off the snap, he kind of jukes right guard, Fred Johnson off balance. And really Johnson has no chance on this play. Uh, then uh, Garrett moves back inside and basically splits Johnson and right tackle Bobby Hart and gets around the edge and swats Joe Burrow the ball right out of his hands. He barely even touches Joe Burrow. I think he kind of just skims his chest, but he gets the ball. Ball comes out. Gus Porter Gustin, by the way, just decks Joe Burrow. If, if Miles Garrett doesn't get the ball on this play, it, it's a sack for Porter Gustin. It's hard to tell if this was a design stunt or if Gustin just adjusted and said, well, geez, Miles Garrett is taking all these people to the outside with him. I should just go to the inside and, and see what I can get. And it, and it works. He just, he just crushes Joe Burrow. The ball comes out. Uh, Joe Jackson recovers it, the two and Nick Chubb scores like two plays later. So that's basically the play. It's, it's one of the, the plays from the first half of the season that had a lot of people talking about Miles Garrett as a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate because he kept strip sacking everybody. Like I said, he had four through the first half of the season. And this one obviously was a big deal because it led to a score and really helped the Browns kind of hold off the Bengals down the stretch. So Ellis, again, and trying to describe this for people, Scott did a good job of setting this up. This is like, quintessential miles garrett is it not he's sometimes he gets off the line in a way that if you do a freeze frame he's moving before anybody else is moving this isn't quite a play like that it's not he doesn't beat the guy because he got a sort of jump on the snap but he looks explosive he looks nimble he looks quick it is like if 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 he had won defensive player of the year and it was like the Oscars and you were like showing his clips of why he won. This is like his money scene. This is like, you know, he's standing in the rain and the love interest is walking down a dark alley and he's standing there with his hands in the pockets of his trench coat, delivering a speech. And it's like, this is what this character is all about. And frankly, Ellis, I, I he didn't look like this every single game necessarily, but man, this like warms the cockles of your heart thinking about Miles Garrett as a long-term Brown when you watch this play. Doug, you, you read my mind. Uh, first of all, we, we probably should have done this before the podcast. You guys can hear me okay, right, and everything. I've got this new customer service fast food Chick-fil-A headset on, and I just wanted to make yeah. sure everything's working. Can I That's interrupt good. and say something here that has been on my mind Yeah, for weeks, and I, I can't help it. I just have to say it. It's He doesn't exactly look like you, but he just reminds me of you a little bit. Maybe I'm not the only person that has said this to you. You're smirking, so I'm, I'm getting a feel that maybe you know what I'm going to say. I'm just reminded of the Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, State Farm guy sometimes, Ellis. Hey, from State that. Farm? That's fair. Every day I think about that. That's Every really day funny. Like, Ellis like that dude. That's really funny. That's accurate. Yeah, I've gotten that a few times. Not the first. You don't want to know whether I have actually screenshotted a picture of your face and a picture of that guy's face and put them next to each other and tried to decipher whether you actually look like each other or it's kind of like the beard and the haircut and like just a little bit of the way you handle yourself. What we're saying here, Ellis, is you've got a future in Hollywood, my friend. Yes. So for now, you're with us here on Gotta Watch the Tape. But you having the idea of the headset, it's like, hey, welcome to State Farm. I'm Ellis here. How can I serve you, Patrick Mahomes? Anyway, I just I, I've thought it for a month and I haven't wanted to say it to you because I'm like, he probably gets that from everybody. But I had to say it. 
Now continue talking about Miles Garrett. Sorry. Yeah, d- no, Doug, I appreciate the compliment. And perhaps I have more of a future in Chick-fil-A fast food restaurants too. <laughs> We're going to see. It's one or the other. I can't figure it out. This headset though is is my future clearly. But anyways, let's digress. Let's get get to this Miles Garrett play. And again, Doug, you read my mind because to me this was the most beautiful play of Miles Garrett Miles Garrett's season. Uh, this is I would compare it to I've seen Beyonce perform live front front row. It, it was just like that. Uh, this is like that Step Brothers line, a mixture of Fergie and Jesus singing. I mean, that is what this play looks like. It was such a great play that Luka Dantich, the the star guard for the Dallas Mavericks, put a side by side of him and Miles Garrett doing a Euro step. Obviously, Miles Garrett isn't playing basketball. He's playing football. A Euro step, I mean, I'm sure most people know, and I'm doing, like, the motions now on this video, which is great for podcasding. (laughs) But, you know, you you plant one way, you shoulder fake the other way, and you end up getting around your defender. And Miles Garrett did that on a football field. Now, he completely took advantage of a far less athletic football player in the interior lineman when we're going to get into all that. But it doesn't matter. These guys are NFL players. These are the best of the best. They get paid, and their cuts are checked. Their checks are cut just like Miles Garrett's. And this was the play that did set the stage for what we thought was Garrett's expected defensive player of the year run. And we're going to get into what changed and why that didn't work out. And I think it's pretty obvious how his, how the second half of his season went, but just focusing on this play in general, man, it's a move that, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm, uh, Brandon Thorne, the, the guest Doug had on the, the inventor of uh, true sack rate, a stat I really enjoy, uh, uh, he puts together some uh, information that I wish I had full access to you know, there's a lot of data out there. I wish I had access to, but uh, that's probably a different conversation. I love my job. So <laughs> we're, trying, but, we're but, trying to get the big stats package. We want the big film and stats package. It's kind of, kind of pricey. We're working on it that we're working on it. We'll see, but I love what I do. Um, but point being Brandon Thorne, a guy who watches all these plays, I'd love to go ask him like, was this the, singular best sack move you saw all year and I'd be pretty surprised if you could put another move in front of this just because it it encompasses what Miles Garrett is why he's the heir to Donald Aaron Donald's throne as the best defensive player in football he doesn't use any power here this is all finesse it's a juke move and he gets the quarterback and completely swings the entire game as Scott laid out and that's just one facet of his game it Scott, I'm so glad you picked this play. I'm so glad you sent us the clip and I was just able to run that on loop. And it really brought me back to early parts of this season and a new appreciation for what that play was. And I'm just excited for this whole series because when we're in the season, things happen so fast that we don't have time to go back and look at this stuff. But just right out of the gate here, looking back at that Miles Garrett play, man, it it deserves a whole podcast segment. I'm glad we're doing it. And I think to your point, the Eurostep analogy is great. I had not seen that thing from Luca, but he really does that. And I think to what Brandon Thorne talks about, it's Scott, this is this is a play that not many people would do. This is not a mistake. This is not a scheme issue where they leave somebody unblocked. This is not someone the back makes a mistake. This is like a singular talent doing a singular thing and kind of creating this out of nowhere. But there are very interesting parts of this in where he lined up, how he lined up, what else was going on with the defense that I think did contribute to him being able to make this play, but it begins with sort of singular athletic talent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think maybe the one thing that that could have, could have slowed him down is Bernard in the backfield, the running back who just seemed to want no part of Miles Garrett rushing through his offensive line. And he went right for BJ Goodson, which again, basically 
cleared that path out for, for Burrow uh, to Burrow for Garrett to get there. But other than that, it was just great athleticism on Garrett's part. And, and I mentioned that where he was on the field for this play, because that's kind of important. It's one of the reasons why I picked this play. He's inside a defensive tackle. Porter Gustin, like I said, is on the edge to his left. Sheldon Richardson is, uh, is the other defensive tackle. And then you have Joe Jackson, who I'm just going to call Joe. Is she really going out with him, Jackson, from here on out? It's a, it's a 70s music reference. Just look it up on YouTube, kids. Joe Jackson, I hope he sticks with his team because there's just so many stepping out. I mean, who, who doesn't know Joe Jackson from the 80s? This is uh, Scott Pasco is already he's, – he's lining up his off-season stories based on this. And Ellis just raised his hand to say, I wasn't alive in the 80s. Sorry. I'm not going to admit whether or not I spent like, you know, an hour on YouTube watching Joe Jackson videos when I found out that Joe Jackson was on the Browns. So, but I might've done that. Anyways, Olivia Vernon is not on the field because he missed this game with a knee injury. Larry Ogunjobi obviously is not on the field, although he did play in this game. Um, Adrian Claiborne actually started opposite Garrett, but it's clear that Joe Woods or, or maybe defensive line coach Chris Kiffin saw an opportunity to use Garrett in this situation or in a situation like this. Uh, in this game, a big third down, and, and obviously it paid off. And like I said, this was one of his four strip sacks this season, and it's only one of 12 times he lined up at left defensive tackle uh, for the Browns this year. He only did it four times at right defensive tackle. So you didn't get a lot of Miles Garrett in the middle, but this is one of those plays that obviously just, you know, it worked out, and it was, it was great timing. That uh, I don't know if we – I could do 50 minutes on that. And I am fascinated. I'm not trying to steer you a certain way. I'm going to steer you a certain way. I want to go right there. Yeah. I want to go right there to the fact that he is at tackle on this snap. And he was only at tackle 16 times the whole season. Four of them were in this game. And it worked here in week two, four times in this game. And Scott, it basically vanishes from the playbook. And I'm not asking you to answer that question but is it not a question to be raised when you see how effective this play is and then they barely did it the rest of the season? This season, even more than last season, and definitely more than his first two years, it seemed the coaching staff was really aware of trying to get him into certain matchups. And whether they felt it was something they really wanted to do against the Bengals versus other teams, you know, we don't know for sure. But it seemed clear that this coaching staff – was really open and maybe it was just Miles Garrett being open. He said repeatedly, I can rush from anywhere. It doesn't matter to me, but they really wanted to get him into positions where the matchup was there because they did that against the Ravens. You know, he, he would, he would just stick to it. Like the first week he stick to, stuck to one side. He, he basically rushed over right tackle the whole game. And then the next time they faced him it was a little different. So they kind of switched back and forth and they tried to find where he could be most valuable on the field. And, Obviously, in this play, they saw opportunity there in the middle. And let's remember, this is the Bengals who didn't have a great offensive line to begin with, so they probably saw more opportunity than they were going to see with most other teams. But then, but then, why not do it more? I mean, he did, he did it. He did it four times in this game. He did it twelve times the rest of the year. Ellis, is this not this to me now? Seeing these numbers and knowing that this is a wrinkle, it's a wrinkle. It's a pass rush wrinkle on a clear passing down. It feels like this is a wrinkle that should be put to use 
more often than 16 times a year where you slide Miles Garrett inside. Is this a failing by Joe Woods and this defensive staff and Chris Kiffin that they did not make this happen more often? Or is there something else at play here that maybe prevented them from doing this more often? It's a great question. And we're in a situation now where the question presents more questions and questions we don't have answers to because I can't say it's a, a, a failure without more information that we just don't have right now without being able to talk to these coaches more. It's obviously offseason and all that. But the questions that it raises when we say, all right, why not put Miles Garrett inside more? Is it because Miles Garrett doesn't want to be inside that much? I know he says he'll rush from anywhere, but there's a difference between rushing from anywhere and playing on the defensive line anywhere because you're not always pass rushing. You know, when you're inside getting dirty like that at D tackle, you've got to be ready for run responsibilities and perhaps that's not what Miles Garrett is interested in. One of the first um, games of that I, I covered here, it was the the Browns win in Baltimore, and Miles Garrett came back on Tuesday in Berea. Well, he talked at the end of the week, so Thursday, Friday, whatever. It was that week after the big win, and Garrett came and talked to the media, and he was really disinterested, kind of in a lame mood, and as the interview was going on, it became clear that he wasn't happy with his role in the Ravens game, despite the team winning. Now that's not an indictment of miles Garrett. That was a year ago. So much has changed. I'm not calling miles a selfish player, but going back and watching the tape, I realized that the Browns game plan at that time. And what Steve Wilkes was trying to do was to use miles more as in a, as a run defender and have him be a point of attack guy against all the options and read zones that the Ravens, you know, run downhill at you. And he did a good job at it, but he didn't seem interested. So is it fair to hold a presser from over well over a year ago against miles Garrett for why he may not line up inside? I'm not sure, but that's the only evidence I have for it that he might not be as interested in getting dirty in the run game as you would need to be to line up more consistently at D tackle his run grades at the end wouldn't suggest that, but he's the type of athlete that can be good at anything and still not be interested in doing it. They could, you know, they're, they're not exclusive. The other thing would be roster, the, 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 the options that the Browns have to deploy at defensive end, because when you move miles Garrett inside, you then are replacing him with a D end. And it kind of goes to Scott's point of who else was on the, out there on the field for him. So in the same way that we talk about why, Joe Woods doesn't try other things in the secondary. The answer is, well, he doesn't have the bodies. He doesn't have the personnel yet to get as creative and exotic as he may like to. I'm wondering if that flash was just that a flash because Chris Kiffin and Joe Woods realized like, all right, we don't have the bodies to actually move miles Garrett around like this, because once we move him from end, we create more issues containing the edges than we do solving problems inside so the cost benefit there isn't worth moving our best player from where we need him to be because we don't have enough horses up front that are even, you know, B, B to B pluses to Miles Garrett's A plus. So to me, those are the two biggest questions. There's a, there's a few more that come to mind, but to me, it's either Miles Garrett just not being that much is that interested in playing run from inside and getting dirty inside like that, or it's a personnel issue and it, uh, moving Miles Garrett inside is a luxury that the Browns couldn't sustain season long. So just looking at the PFF numbers real quick, 16 times at tackle this season, only five times at tackle in 2019, 33 snaps at tackle in 2018. So 
here, here's the thing that I would say, Scott, if I watched, if I was a defensive coach for the Browns and if I was a defensive coach for the Browns, they would go 0-16. But if I was a defensive coach for the Browns and I watched this play in week two, I would say I want him at tackle on passing downs twice a game. I want it to be a wrinkle because it's, it's a game change wrinkle. It's a, because it, this is not just a sack. This is not a pressure that leads to an incompletion. It's a strip sack and a fumble recovery. Like it's a game changing play. And so that's the only thing that, that by the end of the year, they weren't doing it at all. And to me, it's like, Hey, maybe I would have tried miles Garrett at tackle against the chiefs twice. Why, why not Scott? And I understand what else is saying. We're not talking about real run game stuff, but when it's third and 11, right. When it's third and eight, let them get an inside matchup against a guard, throw off the offense and see what happens. Watching this play, Scott, that's what I want. And it's not what they did. No, but also, and again, we're looking at one play against the Bengals here. It's a little easier to double somebody when they're inside as well, you know, as opposed to having miles on the outside and able to go around the edge. And yes, he does get doubled there, but you're also stretching out the offensive line a little bit. If you want to double him on the outside versus a center easily moving over or a tackle easily moving over. See, there would be more ways for you to stop Miles Garrett in theory. I think if he was inside, just because Aaron Donald has a lot of success doesn't in there doesn't mean Miles Garrett is going to have that consistent success. Uh, I'm not saying he can't do it. Obviously this play shows he can, but if you're just looking at a wrinkle that you throw in there on certain downs, well then I think, yeah, that makes sense. But if you want to move him in there, more on a, like a semi-consistent basis or, or more a regular type of basis, not every snap. I don't, I don't know how, how well that would work and if that would be counterproductive or not. Now, I don't want to do it. Uh, he did it twice in the last nine games of the year. He had two tackle snaps in the last nine games of the year. I just want it more than that. Ohio State does this all the time. I get it. They call it their Rushman package. On third down, they'll have their four defensive linemen all be ends. They'll play their four best ends and get after the pass rush, after the, the, the passer. They know it's not going to be a run. You don't have to play the run, just pass rush. But And the other thing, too, and I don't mean I keep derailing, but we talk a lot about like that opposite end with Miles Garrett and like, oh, if you really, if I have Olivier Vernon or hey, should they sign somebody this offseason? Now all of a sudden you can't double Miles. He did this with Porter Gustin and Joe Jackson. It wasn't like they were worried about blocking anybody else. But it was enough of the wrinkle with combined with enough of the elite individual talent that it didn't matter that he was out there with two backup ends. He got there anyway. Right. So I don't I don't know. But I found that part of this, Scott. I found that very interesting that, yes, Sheldon Richardson's on the field, but the other two defense, the two defensive ends on the field are average players at best. And yet they still found a way for Miles to be able to get through, even though they really weren't worried about anybody else. I think maybe the play call too <laughs> might might work uh, in the Browns' favor here. They left the running back inside, who kind of the block Goodson, and uh, and then kind of just flashed out into the flap. They kept the tight end in as well, which meant Malcolm Smith, I believe, was the linebacker on the other side. Uh, ended up kind of delaying a rush because the guy he was covering didn't go anywhere. So you had three receivers and kind of going a little bit further downfield. I, I, I don't know. I think I like it as a wrinkle. I don't know if I'm doing it all the time because I think you're getting more out of Miles Garrett on the edge. More than uh, it's just like a once a year wrinkle, though. I want it like a twice a game wrinkle. This is like a once a year wrinkle at this point. That's why it's just so good. I can't believe they didn't watch this. Say, yeah. wow, that really worked. 
let's make sure we include that at least a snap a game. And they, that's not what they did. They looked at that and said, man, Ellis, they said that really worked. Let's save that for 2021 <laughs> or again, or a million other things happened and they couldn't do it, but whatever this was, this was not like a perfect setup. It's not like it's so unique. Yeah. It's back in their own territory and it's a rookie quarterback. I get it. I don't know. Ellis. Am I alone in thinking they should, this play should have led them to do this more often. Are you guys okay with the fact that he only had 16 tackle snaps the whole year? Ellis, are you kind of okay with that? Or do you think they should have done it a little more? No, I, I would have liked to see it some more, but Doug, I think you answered your question when you brought an Ohio state into this on passing downs, they're able to put out their, you know, four elite athletes because they're Ohio state. They recruit the best. They're always loaded. They've got depth at all those positions. It, it brings back my theory for why this wasn't sustainable because once, and it's what Scott said, once you lose miles in one spot, you become really weak there, especially with Olivier Vernon, not playing. Um, I, I'll, I gotta be honest with you for how much, uh, Scott loves is it Joe Joe Jackson? I did not know who ninety one was at the time before we started this podcast. So I was like googling it quickly, and then Scott said it. You're right, right. So once Scott said it, I could X that Google search out. But that's my point. It's that they're so thin at that spot that I just don't think they had the horses to make this a consistent package. And I understand one or two times a game, go for it. But oftentimes, you know, third and eight, third and nine, third and ten are the most important moments in a football game which you could argue okay well then deploy your best package and maybe this isn't despite the undisputed result of this play the beautiful and and, and sexy finish of this play perhaps this made the browns expose them at the ends for stuff we saw like in the chiefs game with them not being able to hold contain with them breaking lane assignments and it just was too risky for one flash and highlight play you know that just we don't have a sample size to really flush this argument out the the one play highlighted is beautiful but i'm i'm just really concerned at what would have been the options behind miles garrett now if you'd say olivier vernon's healthy and adrian claiborne's playing more like he was early in the year than late now we're talking but i think again that is the underlying issue that eventually Joe Woods is going to want to build this defense with interchangeable defensive linemen and not such predictable pieces like he had this year. All right. One more thing. I know Scott, we, we got to get left side, right side, post COVID pre COVID for miles. The other part of this that I really liked, and you mentioned it already, Scott is BJ Goodson blitzes behind miles Garrett here. And he, he, he's basically right up miles back at the snap and blitzes right in the same gap. And to me, what that does is, okay, if you don't double Miles, right, if you don't have an alert, oh, Miles Garrett's a tackle, we got to figure this out, then Miles is going to get through the way he got through, right? Or if you suddenly triple team Miles Garrett because he's Miles Garrett and he's rushing from tackle, now you open up an opportunity for the linebacker to come in through the same gap and make a play. Scott, as you said, the back here, rather than helping on Miles Garrett, picks up Goodson, but if Goodson had not been blitzing behind Miles Garrett, I think if they just only rushed four, I think my I think the back would have helped on Miles because there wouldn't have been anything else to do. And then maybe you slow this down. So I thought that design of it too, that not only are you putting Miles at tackle, you're blitzing a linebacker right behind him seemed really effective in this moment. Yeah, it's it's hard. Goodson's right up at the line showing blitz. And it's hard to tell if he was really committed to that until the running back stayed in pretty much, but yeah, it definitely worked because like you said, it opens up that, that whole lane. And 
look, the Browns didn't blitz. We can get in a whole conversation about Joe Woods and him wanting to build his defense on coverage versus sending uh, extra rushers. But uh, this is one time when the numbers definitely worked out for them because, but I don't, it would be interesting to hear from Goodson in that game. What, what really was the plan there? Was he kind of just delayed waiting to see if that running back came out of the backfield or was he really, really going to follow either way? it was a lane to the quarterback that he ended up taking because once he got to the line of scrimmage, it really wasn't very long before Miles Garrett was in the backfield, knocking that ball loose. I think he blitzed. I think he went pretty quick. I don't think he was waiting for a read on the back. I think it might've been a call. Ellis, is that a thing? Blitz your linebacker right behind your best pass rusher. Is that like a thing people do? Yeah. And a lot of times there you can check with your, play caller there which is or the on-field guy with the mic who is bj goodson and he can get a call where it's like all right if your assignment let's say is the running back or the tight end and you see them staying in you can just blitz freely regardless so they were they were trying to you know attack that a b gap area and miles took care of business but i think it is both to the point that if garrett would have been taken by the running back first of all he's going to win that matchup anyway Drew Bernard's about you know five eight and there's an overload there and that's really a, a key point in, in any defensive scheme you want to create stress and conflict in one area overload blitzing one gap specific specific pressure that makes it a, a flood type situation and even if they do have one man to check it you can't stop two at the same time so it looks like the right call and, and Scott I completely agree with you that we could do a whole pod on the Browns lack of blitzing. This is a great example as to why I think they should have done it more this season. I'm, I'd be surprised to hear anyone who disagrees that they, they blitz just enough or, or should have blitzed less, which would almost been impossible. And I wrote when they got BJ Goodson a, a year ago that I thought they would blitz him more because of his lack of coverage skills. And I don't have his blitzing numbers in front of me. I know green Bay blitzed him a, a decent amount a, a, a year ago. I'm pretty sure. And for them to not do that, I think this is an example of why they should have. But, of course, that's not how the season unfolded. All right, we'll take a quick break here on Gotta Watch the Tape. We'll come back with more about this Miles Garrett strip sack against the Bengals in week two. Thanks for joining me with Ellis Williams and Scott Pasca. We'll be back after this. Diving in more on Gotta Watch the Tape. Scott, I know you have been, I think, very interested in this all year, sort of the left side versus right side with miles correct and here we are he's on the left side not at end but at tackle what what do you take away from that positioning on this play uh that's a trend that was really heavy towards the left over the first half of the season but it kind of shifted um he finished the regular season just snaps overall not pass for snaps just snaps overall 366 from the right which again is over left tackle and then 334 from the left so pretty even about difference of 30 snaps there so but if you break that down by just Pass rush snaps, it's 273 on the right, 195 on the left. So, again, he's still more over left tackle. Uh, and in that week two game, uh, it was kind of even. It was 33 rushes from the left, 25 from the right. He had one sack. His one sack, obviously, there was from the left. He had five pressures from the right, four from the le- left. So it was kind of even. Um, and, again, that was kind of what we saw throughout the first half. But here's the thing. If you split it up, like just that first half of the season, versus the second half, 170 snaps from the left to 113 from the right over the first eight games. He had the seventh most rushes from the right over the second half of the season. He only rushed 25 times from the left. So it just flipped uh, from the first half to the second half. And 
that more balanced trend by the time it got to the end of the season, obviously it was more balanced, but that trend began last season, 2019 when Olivier Vernon showed up because Vernon like Garrett had really been a predominantly right side rusher in his career. And when, when they signed Vernon, he was, you know, he said, this is going to be a challenge for me to try and figure out how to be the best version of myself coming from the other side. And Garrett was his usual self. It doesn't matter to me. I'll rush him anywhere. Um, Weirdly enough, they, they both ended up with more snaps from the right side that season, partly because of injury and suspension and all that kind of stuff. But Garrett split last year, 236 from the right, 176 from the left. And that was a huge change from his first two seasons. He rushed almost exclusively from the right side as a rookie. He only rushed six times against the right tackle as a rookie. His second year, he led all edge rushers in pass rushes from the right, 505. He only rushed 53 times against right tackle. So everything just kind of started becoming a little more balanced once Olivier Vernon arrived. And then this season, uh, there was just this weird first half versus second half uh, of the season. And that was even something that started before the whole COVID issue. But again, we've seen this coaching staff, I think, maybe be more eager to kind of move him back and forth based on based week to week than than we have uh, from previous coaching staffs. So again, just to... Make sure our listeners are understanding this. When you say that someone is rushing from the left side, they're going against the right tackle. Correct. Because it's the defensive left side, the offensive right side. When they're rushing from the right side, you're going against the left tackle. And again, predominantly the left tackles are the premium guys on the offensive line. So when you have Miles Garrett rushing from the right side, he's probably going up against the best pass blocker on that team. When you rush him from the left side, he might be going up against then the second best tackle, right? That's not always the case, but is more often the case. Scott, when you interpret these numbers, that he was so heavy on the right side rushing early in his career, and then the beginning of this season, he was on the left a lot, but then it switched and he wound up doing more on the right in the second half of the year. Does that seem to tell you that Miles Garrett said something? Would you guess that Miles Garrett said, listen, I, I even though – I'll do anything. I actually really am more comfortable on the right side because it's what I've done more. And they adjusted to that in the second half of the year, not to put words in Miles's mouth or your mouth, but just, you know, reading, reading the stats here. Yeah. I think it's clear that his production is better from the right. Um, no matter the, the sample size or whatever, he's been more productive from the right than the left. And after he came back, it could have been a comfort thing, but even though he had gotten more opportunities this year from the left, it's it, PFF has this metric called pass rush productivity, which measures pressures per snap and sacks are weighted a little heavier than everything else. Garrett's PRP from the right uh, this past season was 8.1. He had 35 pressures and nine sacks. Again, that's going against your left tackles. And that ranks 16th among edge rushers. His PRP from the left side was 6.4, 21 pressures, four sacks. That's ranks 53rd. And it's been that kind of split. He's always been a little better from the right side. Last season, 10.1 from the right, which was ranked sixth overall amongst edge rushers. He was ranked 36th from the left. Um, 2018 was a weird season. Uh, That was the year he led the league rushing from the right. He had just 53 snaps from the left side. He actually had a 12.3 PRP, which is excellent. But again, you're just talking about 53 snaps. He had 11 pressures and two sacks, so it's not a huge sample size. But overall, when he's when he's been healthy, 
when he's gotten a lot of snaps on both sides, he's really produced more from the right. And despite all that, though, his four strip sacks, he had two from each side of the season. So I think there's more to coming from the left just from whether or not you're comfortable because there's technically, depending on the arm of the quarterback, you're closer to the ball. Like when Joe Burrow is dropping back on that play, you know, he's, he's facing Miles Garrett coming at him as opposed to Miles Garrett having to come around his back and reach around and get that ball. He just needs to reach out and hit it because Burrow's holding it right in front of him. So there's, it's a small amount of space, but it matters when you're talking about, you know, half seconds and things like that. You're right. In watching this play, if he's rushing from the other side, he doesn't get the strip sack because he reaches out and swats with his right arm in a way that Burrow's trying to like have the ball kind of against his chest, but he's not going around the back of him. He's just reaching out and swatting from the front. So if he's the master of the strip sack, which is what we all thought he was after the first half of the season, it makes sense to put him on the left side because it's easier to do that, but he's more comfortable in every way from the right side. So, Ellis, this leads me to this, and we don't want to go too far down this road because we'll have a lot to talk about this offseason. This now tells me this. If Miles is definitively more productive from the right side, then my prediction is that the Browns sign a pass rusher who has some mediocre set of pass rush stats, but when you break them down, it turns out this guy is really good from the left side and that they're going to figure this out. Would this lead us to believe, however they address it with the roster, and I want both of you guys on this, but Ellis, should and will Miles Garrett line up on the right side predominantly next year? He's open to being flexible, but if you have this much data, and if, if Scott Patsko has this data, my God, Scott Patsko? Who is Scott Patsko? They have to have 10 times better data than Scott Patsko that must be showing them the same thing, Ellis. This is a, an organization that thinks smart, Right. Why wouldn't you just settle miles in on the right side and then target somebody who's equally as comfortable in their own way on the left? First, I, I, I'd be curious to see what Adrian Claiborne's numbers are in those splits, because if he's a guy that would have been better going up against right tackles, that could help explain some of this. But I think that the theory that the Browns are trying to build is exact is shown in Garrett splits this year, a, a 50-50 balance between the left and right. And and for everything you're saying, Doug, I completely get it. The data backs up that he's stronger to one side going up against left tackle and that, that he should predominantly stay there. But my counter would be this. There is a video circulating on Twitter, and it's probably a couple of weeks old now, but it was of someone compiled all of J.J. Watt's snaps versus the Tennessee Titans this year, and it became pretty – clear that the Titans had a game plan of just running away and avoiding JJ Watt at all costs. So, you know, it would be, and they, and the the point is they would move JJ Watt in the, in the formation. So even if Watt lined up on the left, they would run zone, right? You know, they flip Watt. Okay. Now they're running away from him. And then on a passing down, you're chipping Watt with a tight end and maybe a running back and you're just making his life a living hell. It reminded me so much of the first Pittsburgh Steelers game because I felt that's exactly what the Steelers did to him. No matter where he was lined up, the ball would go away from him. If they did throw, Big Ben would get out quick, demoralizing for a pass rusher. All right, we got no shot at getting this guy. No sack for me today. Plus, we're getting our butts whooped. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking that you need to keep Miles both 
on either side, keep the versatility, but then it adds how important it is getting a, a bona fide starting end on the other side to bookend him so that teams pay a penalty for running away from Miles Garrett, for throwing away from Miles Garrett, from booting away from Miles Garrett, because you have a, a young and upcomer or someone like JJ Watt just a, a, a solidified edge rusher there that they also have to worry about. And the cherry on top of this argument is this, because you pointed out, Doug, and it was a great point. We were talking about cornerbacks a, a while back, probably about Denzel Ward and about how, you know, it's great to find a lockdown corner on one side of the football field. But if you got a scrub on the other side, it, it, it's not going to matter because they're just going to throw that way. And it's exactly what happened to the Green Bay Packers against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and poor King over there. You know, Alexander is one of the best corners in football, and he didn't get any looks because they just, just, just let King have it all day. And that brought me back full circle to the Tennessee Titans clip of running away from Watt, which – to, again solidifies why this team needs to find just a bona fide guy on that other side to fully maximize what Garrett's able to do because whether you put him on one side or the other and the production is the production but in games that matter the most and that's what we're talking about here because we're look of course the regular season matters you need to play great to get to that playoff spot but now that we're going to start penciling the Browns in as probably a, a playoff contender every year i mean we're at that point with this team right where in the preseason we expect them to be in the playoffs so if we're talking about getting to that promised land we got to start talking matchups and this defense needs to start making teams pay for avoiding miles regardless of what side he's on because though we didn't see a a full strength miles garrett at the end of the season that miles garrett is coming and i promise you he's going to start getting jj watt treatment like the tennessee titans did to him this year you need tight ends you need defensive ends on both sides to bookend him You'd asked about Adrian Claiborne. Uh, he was predominantly on the right, 253 snaps there compared to 23 or 21 on the left, and he was better on the right. Porter Gustin uh, was flipped the other way. He spent most of his rushes on the left, 129 versus 46, but he did produce more coming from the right, even though he didn't get as many snaps. So, okay. Uh, but Claiborne really didn't move around that much. Vernon was was kind of even the way the way Miles Garrett was. Okay, and that and that would make sense. That's a that's an old vet stuck in his ways and needing to play there compared to a guy like Gustin who can move around and then Garrett being younger and more versatile. That, that makes perfect sense. It is. And I don't mean to keep referencing my Ohio state stuff, but I'm a mold. I covered Ohio state forever. I remember very specifically. And again, some, you know, you stack up recruits. It's like, Hey, I have all this talent, but there was a time when Ohio state won the national championship. They had Joey Bosa at defensive end. They would line up Darren Lee at outside linebacker a lot behind Bosa. That's a first round pick and a first round pick. And then they'd have Vaughn Bell at safety behind them on that side of the field and and second round pick. And there would be times it's like, well, if Bosa didn't get you, Lee might blitz. And if, and if Lee didn't blitz, Bell might blitz. And if you thought, Oh, I'll, I'll throw, here comes a blitzer. I'll throw at the blitz. Right. And, and try to get a hot route there. Here comes Von Bell to destroy yours. And you line up like three guys on top of each other at each level. And the quarterback just looks out there and thinks I'm dead either way. All three of them can kill me. And so I do not that the Browns can do that, but part of this is I understand the idea of like, Hey, you can't, you can't just let them go to the other side of the field and have a freebie and go away from miles. But sometimes I think about, man, if you could line up, you know, say, say you get a playmaker 
linebacker, just like we saw Goodson blitz behind Miles on this play, or you start bringing Grant Delpit down sort of on Miles' side, and all of a sudden you start pairing some guys, and it's like, well, Miles is going to do this, and then Delpit might do this or whatever. It also is intriguing to me. It's sort of what you talked about, Ellis. It's like, well, you want to balance the field so they can't have an easy out by going the other way, but sometimes you can overload the field. By saying we have so much talent in one spot, you might be able to stop one guy here, but you can't stop two. And I think there are interesting matchups here, and we talk about that. Scott, I want to get you, though, on the idea of what are your numbers here telling you? Would you say let's play Miles Garrett on the right side, or do you think the versatility here is what matters more, even if the numbers say right side's more productive? I think it makes sense to move him around because some matchups are better. If you have somebody – on the opposite side, like an Olivier Vernon and the way Vernon was playing over the second half of the season, that gives you more flexibility uh, to where, all right, we know Miles Garrett is going to have a huge advantage against this right tackle. And Olivier Vernon is playing at a high level right now. And he's still a good matchup against, against our left tackle. Then yeah, that makes sense because you want as big an advantage as you can get. You want the quickest path to the quarterback. And that starts with Miles Garrett. So I don't think, I would be surprised if if we see 2021 turn out the way his first two seasons are or were where he's mostly just on one side. I think you're going to continue to see him moved around. It, it would, I think it would just be it would be shocking to me to see him go back to that. All right. So then the last part of this is, again, this is week two spring in his step. Explosive Miles Garrett. The guy had COVID. We have covered it many times. He missed two games. He has talked about how it still bothered him physically, even after he was back. What does this play tell us about that, Scott? Because he did this in week two. Were we as likely to see this kind of Miles Garrett play in week 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17? No. <laughs> no, we are not. Uh, like, he led the league in sacks over the first half of the season, and he was like fourth in pressures among edge rushers and it was really balanced. He had 20 pressures and six sacks from the right, 20 pressures and four sacks from the left. There was like a half a sack in there. Um, I'm not sure which side it was on, but his PRP from the right was 10.2, which is ranked fifth. So he was getting it done. He was getting it done from both sides. That's pre COVID post COVID weeks 13 through 17. If you're just looking at the regular season there, he came back in those games. He had four sacks, 16 pressures, that was ranked, this, the pressures were ranked 16th among edge rushers. His sacks all came from the right side, and that's pretty much because he only rushed from the right side. It was 146 to 12 over those final uh, few games there. And his production just overall per snap and per pass rush wasn't good. His PRP was just 6.2 from the right, 4.2 from the left. Those are just numbers that are super low from Miles Garrett. But the thing is, his snap counts really didn't change. And he was asked a little bit about this, and I know the coaches were asked a little bit about this, and they said, well, we look out there and we see Miles Garrett looks like he has energy, so we're not changing that. He averaged about 85% of his snaps over the first half of the season, and it was pretty much the same when he came back. He played 82% of the snaps in the wild card game. And it dropped to 68% against the Chiefs, but he did have that oblique injury. And the only other time he was that low was in week eight against the Raiders when he had the, it was a knee injury that kind of hampered him that, that week. So like COVID didn't keep him off the field when he got back, but it clearly slowed him down. And like he said, after the Giants game, which was what three weeks after he had returned, 
he said he was still having breathing issues. He was still doing breathing exercises and that was still an issue, but the Browns were still putting him out there and they were still giving him every chance to, to pass, rush the passer. It was just injury that, that slowed him down. Ellis, it's frustrating because I think Miles Garrett to me, I mean, is, is, is as physically fit as any human on the earth. Right. And this is two straight years where 2019 it's the suspension for the last six games of the season. Now it's COVID, which affects him for the second half of the season. And to me, yes, injuries are part of the game, but in terms of like stamina and keeping yourself healthy, as long as you're not injured, Miles Garrett is at the top of the, of the list and being able to do that, that in a normal year, I think he should be destroying people in weeks 15 and 16 and 17 because they're going to be more wound, more worn down than he is because he's Miles Garrett. And this is two years in a row where he didn't have a normal second half of the season. And I think back to, man, like this week two play, give me that against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Give me that against Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs. This is really when you start thinking about the Browns as a real Super Bowl threat. And through no fault of his own. Well, 2019, it was fault of his own. But it's two years in a row where we didn't really, not really, we we did not. We did not get to see the real Miles Garrett in the second half of the year when I think in a normal second half of the year, Ellis, he should be dominant. With everything you just laid out, it's the reason why I'm picking Miles Garrett to finally break the Browns franchise record for sacks and flirt with Michael Strahan's all-time record next season what is it like 21 or 22 sacks if anyone's going to do it i think it's going to be him I, I it we like this play how this podcast started looking at that play there's only one rusher in football that can do what he did there and as this team continues to build and put pieces around him i think these sacks become more consistent he's going to have that first part of the year in both times because you're right with two bad shakes you know 2019 and then catching COVID we haven't been able to see Miles Garrett end his season and the the injuries are are, are are a tough shake as well because I completely agree they they slowed him down they hampered him whether it was right there before the bye when he started to get slowed down I mean there were I don't think he was really on the field much towards the end of that Raiders game that Scott brought up now that you mentioned it and then he played 80 something snaps versus the Steelers in the wild card round and then I think that limited and eventually you saw a, a deteriorated Miles Garrett in the, in the divisional game. So there there's two parts here to this. It's the miles needing to be avoid just the bad breaks. Of course, you know, not doing anything stupid to get suspended. And of course, hopefully we're all, we're all past this, this COVID situation by the time the next season starts and then just keeping him fresh and keeping him healthy. I don't think anyone wants to see him out there 80 something snaps, you know, playoff game aside this this front office really early in the year made a, a an effort to say hey we're going to monitor our guys and keep them fresh and then you know things happen through, through the course of the season and you're forced to deploy who you need to deploy this they're going they need to build depth up front and that will allow miles garrett to not only stay the course of being the strip sack monster and chasing sack records but it'll also keep him fresh towards the second end of the year and into the playoff run that we keep expecting this team to build towards this play watching this play and again go go find it yourself or go to cleveland.com slash browns and find this story well we'll have the podcast in there but we'll have this clip it'll have a video in there and everything you can watch it yourself but scott it is a great reminder of what miles garrett at his best truly is and sometimes by the end of the year like you know he's great but i almost think you might forget how great because this is crazy 
This play is crazy, Scott. And, and that's a good reminder for us to do this podcast on it. But Scott, when you were just talking about snap counts and how much he was playing when he came back, even though he was dealing with COVID, should this organization prioritize it even more to limit his snap counts? Because this is a guy who there have been times early in his career where he plays every defensive snap at times Mm -hmm. that now is he's when you now are becoming a playoff team and the goal is not necessarily just to beat, you know, beat the Texans in week seven, you, the goal is to have a, as healthy as can be miles Garrett for Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Should they change his, how they use him during the regular season as a result? I mean, like you said, they did reduce it from what he was doing his first couple of years, but I think like that comes down to depth. I mean, they, they rotated their, their edges. They rotated their interior linemen every game. There were lots of drives where, you know, he wasn't out there and Sheldon Richardson wasn't out there. And, you know, Olivier Vernon wasn't out there. I don't, that's a hard thing to, to figure out exactly what the sweet spot is because he's Miles Garrett and you need him on the field. You want him on the field. He's your best defensive player and he's going to make plays like this to change games. The two, the knee injury and the oblique thing that, that came up this season, uh, they, you know, those are things that knocked him out. Well, I mean, the last one happened in the last game, but the, he got past, you know, he got past the thing that happened in the Raiders game. So I don't know. That's a tough sweet spot to find. I, Miles Garrett will tell you he's fine being out there for this amount of snaps. And I think unless he tells you differently, they, that this seems like a good, a good uh, template to use from what we saw this year. All right. So we got Ellis's take on watching this play helped remind Ellis Williams that he thinks Miles Garrett is going to have a crazy, awesome 2021. Scott, you picked this play in rewatching this play and all the, the research you did around it. What did this play tell you in the end? It tells me that Miles Garrett just has a lot of, it's weird to say a guy who, who we think so highly of, but there's just unlocked potential there in, in things that they can do to make sure that they get the best out of him. And like you said, uh, showing more, you know, inside tackle plays with him makes a lot of sense. And I think we have not seen the ceiling from Miles Garrett and the weird endings to the last two seasons have a lot to do with that, but Next season, I, I think Ellis is on the right track that it could be, you know, if, if we get a full season of Miles Garrett, finally, I think it could be something special. And it's going to include things like this and some things we haven't seen yet from him. It is funny to think about on one hand. I mean, it does feel like Miles has kind of been here forever because he, you know, he he was here. He was the he was a reward for going one in 15, but he lived through in 16. He's lived through a lot. It's one of those things like you do one of those things that like with the pandemic, it's like, oh, my God, the pandemic been going on for 10 years. So much has happened for Miles. It almost feels like he's been in the NFL for more than four seasons. But he is still a young player. And Ellis, he is now on the edge of transitioning into sort of that young veteran. But I I do think that the idea of not yet seeing the best of him seems a very logical conclusion for Scott to have reached. I, I couldn't agree more. We got to remember Aaron Donald, again, the king of defense in this league, and he's been the king for a while now. I think is four or five years older than Miles Garrett. And Aaron Donald's a guy who feels like he's been in this league forever, along with Garrett. But when I saw the, the difference there, I, it, it was striking. And it, it reminded me that as one player fades out, and the Rams championship window is, is they see it too. You know, they make that trade from, 
Matthew Stafford because they realize, all right, hey, we might only have a few more years with this guy for who, what, five years now has been considered the best non-quarterback in football. It's Miles Garrett's turn. He's going to take that crown as the best non-quarterback in football, and Browns fans should be hell of excited that he's in Cleveland for this. If he reaches peak capacity, right? I mean, there's a chance that when you look back at the end of Miles Garrett's career and say, you know, what were his five best seasons, that none of them have happened yet. Right. You know, that I completely all, like, agree. This is all as good as he has been. It's all prelude still. This is not. This is still the appetizer, and it's a tasty, tasty appetizer. But they might be ready to bring out the entree, and that might taste really good for like the next five or six or seven years in Cleveland. Yeah, 2018 might be number five. Right. At that point. And that's the yeah. best season so far. So I ordered a Cheesecake Factory the other night and got it, picked it up, and I got the Buffalo Blast, which is my favorite appetizer. They didn't give them to me. Like it wasn't in the order. So I'm thinking about appetizers right now, which is why I made that comparison to me. Miles Garrett, you are a Buffalo Blast. All right. I like it. I like doing one play. Keeps it nice and formulated. We just zone in. I only have to look at one football thing happening at a time, which I'm able to process. Too much football throws me off. I probably shouldn't say that as a football <laughs> podcaster and writer. But I like it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to find plays that matter from this Brown season and then tell us, tell you what it means in relation to a bunch of other things. So again, got to watch the tape once a week in the off season, still going to be three of us bringing it to you. Listen to all the orange and Brown talk. We have a bunch of great stuff planned. Do not miss an episode Monday through Friday, Mary Kay, Dan, the three of us, Tim Bielek's going to be working in with some draft stuff as we get ready for that free agency over the horizon. Certainly that's going to be a topic on a lot of different podcasts. It already has been what the Browns could or should do. So we enjoy having you here. We love it when you read cleveland.com slash Browns. That helps us out. Plus, I think it's good for you guys. Um, But again, Scott, great research on this. I think next time we'll plan on Ellis finding a play that tickles his fancy and we'll do the same kind of thing. But for now, thanks to Scott. Thanks to Ellis. I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for listening. And thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.